ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to uh, the Ocean Bunker podcast. Um, this is uh, John the Defence Geek. I'm joined this evening by my co-hosts uh, George Allison, uh, an Austin thing too, and Ocean Technical. And we're also joined this evening by our guest, uh, Oliver Alexander. Hello there. Yeah, we don't... Uh, I, I, I don't know the best way to start out with, with what you do. Um, because it's, it's, it's fairly extensive, isn't it? Um, between the, the various Nord stream tracking you've recently been doing in the general, I would say debunking of false narratives that's, that's been going on for a while. Um, I, I know you've gotten yourselves into, uh, a, a bit of a tiff with at least several individuals online who have been, uh, at least less than forthcoming with their, uh, motivations for, um, for generating content as as well as you know just general uh yeah, I, i'm not on i'm not on twitter to make friends i don't think i've made very many friends <laughs> <laughs> well i i i would say you've you made you made plenty of people angry um, yeah i'm good at that also in real life <laughs> <laughs> well just go ahead and, and sort of explain what you've been doing with uh, the whole Nord Stream 2 tracking because i think that's the the biggest thing you've been doing recently at least well, I mean, the whole Nord Stream thing is just kind of a, it's one of those big mysteries that we haven't really had that many of during the last, well, during the entire Ukraine war. I mean, there have been some events that have been kind of mysterious, but at least most of them have kind of had an answer within at least a month or something. There's a couple of attacks here and there. Maybe the Saki airbase is probably the only one that we really don't have an answer to yet. Other than that, most things kind of, you know, materialize within the next, like, few weeks. Nord Stream is one of the only ones where it's been really like a complete mystery for a long time. No one really knows what happened. Even now, there's conflicting narratives from all sides. There was kind of a period where it died down after a couple of months, or a month or two after the um, original attack, and then, yeah, now we're at a point where suddenly kind of Seymour Hirsch kind of started up again with his um, little fairy tale that he liked, liked to write. Well, someone wrote. I don't even know if he wrote it, to be honest, because through the communications I've had with him, it seems unlikely that he'd be able to structure even one sentence let alone like five thousand words um and then from there there's kind of been like a drip feeding of information suddenly that just kind of make makes it interesting again yeah and and what would you say sort of has been like the most defining element of sort of the media narrative around sort of the Nord Stream pipeline i mean i i know no one is claiming that or or at least no one's claimed yet that the ukrainians you know used attackums to to hit the pipeline but but what would you say is sort of are are the defining narratives i mean there's it's, i mean it changes every week i feel like first we had like everyone was sure it was the russians then people weren't really sure who it was then we had Seymour Hersh state it was the americans and suddenly because Joe Biden said in a press conference that, you know, he was going to stop Nord Stream, which, I mean, they did. They stopped it. It never got approved. It would have needed to be approved by the German government and a couple of other environmental stuff that never got through. So, I mean, it was a dead project. The fact that that's apparently somehow proof that he did this in this super secret mission that wasn't allowed to involve anyone from Congress, but through latest count now involves like nine or ten different countries and politicians and like more people than the faking the moon landing would have needed to do or needed to include. And somehow that's now, at least in one part of the kind of cold sphere, that's kind of like confirmed now because he said that he'd stopped the pipeline. And then we have, you know, these stories about the uh, Andromeda and this pro-Ukrainian group, you know, 
sailing this little 50-foot yacht up there and planting these explosives, which, again, has a lot of holes that story that don't really make sense. Stuff about the timing and the just the whole amount of explosive required and the different dives and the diving. and I mean, you, if you look at the area leading up to where the Andromeda was sailing there, you have... You have the uh, U.S. Navy having exercises there. You have the German Navy having exercises there. You have the Minerva Julie being on top of the site for eight days. You have the Russian ships sailing through. You have U.S. ships sailing through when they were leaving the Baltic. So you have, like, seven different navies there where this little Andromeda yacht had to somehow navigate between all of these navies and not get discovered while doing this, which kind of seems highly implausible. And then you have, I mean... Also, the possibility that it was the Russians that did it, because I mean, you have this, this, um, these Russian ships that have were originally reported back in October, as far as I know, like as there were ships, and but it was never reported which ships they were, which was now the information that we could get from these, um, this intelligence source specifically, which ships kind of look closer at it. It seems the whole thing about this with the Russian ships is a bit strange from what I've heard from like these sources and stuff. It seemed like, from what I understood, that they were a suspect that there are, they weren't. Like, they knew the ships were there at the start, but they didn't quite know which ships they were, and the whole identification of the ships might have come a month or two afterwards, and I'm not quite sure where the investigation is right now, because there's kind of this weird, it could have been these, it's probably not these, actually, wait a second, it could have actually been these kind of thing going on in the intelligence circle right now, I think. Yeah, and I think I think I'll let Austin hop in. I, I know he really, really wanted to present his own theories on the on the situation. Good Lord. No, I mean, Oliver put it very well in the fact that the narratives themselves, irregardless of where they come from, um, sorry, irregardless is a word, regardless of where they come from, uh, have been shifting. Um, and because in, in, after the initial explosions, like, let's let's first talk about the, you know, the Russian narrative, because the, the Russian narratives on Ukraine generally tend to be sort of easily um, disproved, but, you know, they tend to be consistent. And on Nord Stream in particular, they are actually quite inconsistent because it's the after the the first couple initial explosions, there was a lot of sort of um, dialogue being thrown at the Brits and this idea. And this was you know at the time when you had you, Boris Johnson sort of attempting to lead the way for the Western Alliance on Ukraine, and so a lot of the Russian sources, either via Telegram or via Russian state media. We're talking all about the Brits. And it was only later, um, to my understanding, I want to say it was like about a month or a month and a half later that you started seeing the the Biden clips emerging and all of a sudden all this focus on the United States. Um, so, I mean, my, my, my personal take on it right now is that the narratives continue to shift in either way. I also, you know, I agree with Oliver that I find it kind of unlikely that even a Ukrainian rogue group renting a yacht would be able to um, conduct those dives in such a quick a manner and also have the explosives on the ship. And it's just like the, the logistics aren't really adding up. Uh, and then, you know, equally likewise, when we, when we look back on some of the stuff coming out of the Russians about, oh, the U.S. did it, they said they would stop Nord Stream. You know, as Oliver pointed out, Nord Stream 2 was never completed. And at the time that these things happened, Nord Stream 1 wasn't pumping any... Uh, LNG. Um, it was it was stopped because the the Germans nationalized their uh, their subsidiary of Gazprom, and so when we look at it as if from the the Russian perspective of you know Biden's making good on his threat, it simply doesn't add up because there's nothing going through 
one pipeline that hasn't been completed and never pumped the thing and another pipeline that was shut down at the time and i mean also with the the russians i mean they started off by blaming the anglo-saxons and i think it was the swedes that were involved and then they stated that they had text messages from liz trust that proved that she was behind it and then now they're suddenly all on board the seymour hirsch narrative yet the entirety of the entire like russian state intelligence apparatus can provide not one single piece of evidence pointing at the u.s which you think if they even had just the slightest bit of evidence that could you know somehow kind of back up seymour hirsch's story it would be massive but they have nothing there's nothing Yeah, it's it's definitely I I think defining that people are competing for the narratives. Obviously, I think we've seen that for years now. That the, the information space is is one defined by narratives, um, and it it is really interesting to see how that sort of has percolated to pretty much all levels of of in effect everyone sort of disagreeing and 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 fighting over it yeah i mean it's funny because there's just so many conflicting narratives everyone says that another person did this and no one really wants to blame anyone exactly it's kind of like this weird kind of semi-blame game it's also because there's so many every theory seems to have at least one or two major holes in it because there's so many kind of unanswered questions like you have the Nord Stream 2 leak where only one of the pipelines was damaged and that was damaged 80 kilometers away from the other ones which are all kind of closely connected and then that happened 17 hours before and it's just all like nothing can really make all the things add up. Yeah, and and well, it sort of sort of give us give us an idea of of what you've done to sort of try to cut through that. I mean, it's been kind of a longer process. I mean, initially when it happened, I did a lot of research into it because I, I mean, just as through the whole OSINT thing, and it was like a pretty big event at the time, so I was looking into it a lot, and then it kind of died down because I mean, everyone that I've talked to, I've talked to a lot of journalists and other sources I have and stuff, especially in Denmark and also other northern countries and stuff like. Everyone's saying that, like, the investigation around Nord Stream is unusually tight and, like, closed off to journalists asking questions where these people that have 20, 30 years of experience asking, you know, some back, some, like, backside, some other contact they have about, you know, maybe they can get a word in here or there. Like, they're saying, like, oh, they just get cut off, like, instantly. There's nothing really to be had out of any of the, um, like, government institutions or any of their contacts. That's always been a bit strange. At the same time, like information kind of died off up until Seymour Hirsch released his piece for like three or four months there wasn't really much new information like no one really came out with anything I'm sure the investigations are moving forward but nothing publicly then Seymour Hirsch came out with his yeah story and I mean that was I spent quite a lot of time you know debunking all of the things that he said in that story that didn't make sense which were I mean basically all of it I mean you have this elaborate conspiracy from Biden where he can't involve the gang of eight or any of the U.S. members of Congress for fear of leaks and they don't want any leaks because they don't want Germany to know to kind of create a fracture within NATO so they so they ally with Norway for some reason because Stoltenberg was apparently a CIA asset when he was 14 during the Vietnam War and, and somehow in his story Stoltenberg is like the supreme leader of Norway just because he's Norwegian. The Norwegian military listens to him instead of their own government. I'm not quite sure how that kind of fits. And then you have all of this story about them using the ball tops exercise to 
plant explosives and then use a Norwegian aircraft during a routine flight where they don't normally fly. So I don't quite know how that would be a routine flight. Suddenly it's like having a U.S. you know aircraft routine routine flight over Brazil or something like where it's just like there's no that's not where they fly. They don't go use them there. Like it wouldn't be routine in any way. And then suddenly you have you start adding all these questions, and I wrote to him a couple of times, and he was just like, oh, it's just the CIA is hiding this, and the CIA is using this for cover, and it's they're all involved. And I think when I looked at, like, the ships that had to be involved and the countries that had to be involved for this, you have Britain, the U.S., Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Lithuania, Poland, uh, the Netherlands, uh, and I think Latvia as well, if I remember correctly, and it's like... We're up to like nine countries that are involved in this super secret plan where Biden doesn't even want to involve Congress because of the leaks. <laughs> but you have nine other countries involved now. So that's always a bit. Yeah, and then, I mean, that kind of spun out. And then, you know, there was the Andromeda story that came out, which is, I mean, that at least has some some actual sourcing behind it and some tracks, even though I don't believe it could easily. I definitely believe the yacht could be involved somehow, but I don't think that this is like the sole piece of the puzzle it might be like a corner piece in this larger puzzle but i don't think it's like the the big centerpiece thing because i think it's just like a it's all it all really doesn't add up like logistically like austin said and then now we have more information about these russian ships that were reportedly in the area that they got from an intelligence source where they finally got the names of these six ships that were in the area and then we could use open source intelligence gathering and stuff through yeah different sources ais data and the satellite data and just other data to try to actually corroborate that, okay, it does look like all of these ships were actually in the area at the time, and I mean, from here, I don't quite know where it goes. I think it's going to be one of those investigations where you kind of need to keep poking at the uh, different governments and investigations to try to make, make them, you know, say a little bit more, say a little bit more. I don't think anything's going to come public in the next few years unless it's kind of forced, so I think that's kind of like the way forward. And didn't you actually use uh, the AIS and a combination of satellite data and some some other some other imagery sources to uh, at least somewhat debunk one of the uh, narratives around the uh, pipeline explosion? I mean, that was I mean the whole Seymour Hersh thing. I mean that was easy because you have he said this one ship was involved the Alta or he's an Alta class, but I mean there was no Alta classes in the Baltic Sea at that time, and then he's kind of like wouldn't want to change his story and people started making excuses for him saying oh we probably meant this other ship even though seymour himself when asked 10 20 times consistently stays says that it is this ship but you know every all of the people trying to defend his story keep making up excuses saying oh he actually meant this other thing but he himself keeps insisting that it's this and i mean anyone with any slight you know knowledge of of the geography of the area knows it's not very easy to get something from norway to the Baltic Sea around Bonholm without, you know, kind of going right underneath two of the major bridges in Denmark that are under constant surveillance. Like, you can't just sneak a ship into the Baltic Sea. It's kind of hard. It's not like an open ocean where you can just kind of, you know, ooh, we went in and we kind of disappeared. Like, someone would know if that ship was there and it wasn't there. Yeah, no, and, and I think... It, what was it multiple of the ships that he had claimed were actually there had been laid up previously and and weren't even in the water at the time um or or maybe had been in the water but but weren't in any serviceable condition yeah i mean yeah, actually one alta, of them was in a scrapyard yeah the actual alta was um kind of taken out of service in 2012 and then it kind of just stayed up in their naval base up by bag and then actually like on i think it was july or june 27th it was actually scrapped like taken up to the scrapyard north there and scrapped 
And I mean, people would say, oh, it was conveniently scrapped right after Belltops. But I mean, again, you have satellite inf imagery confirming the ship was there the entire period. And again, seeing this imagery of the ship, it hadn't been in use for 10 years. If you've ever seen a ship that hasn't been maintained for 10 years, you know what they look like. No one's sneaking this ship that looked like it was off the set of Waterworld into Danish waters and like undercover and kind of sneaking it back out without anyone asking any questions. It's like, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, and I, I guess it's sort of, you know, a lack of fact-checking of, you know, how hard it is, how hard is it if your, you know, quote-unquote source comes to you and, and you know, the, the the actual existence of a source is uh, disputed, let's say, um, and says, you know, this ship was involved. And, you know, you do the basic fact-checking and basically just Googling, you know, Let's let's see what this ship is. Let me let me just Google it and see, you know, where it's been or what it's been doing. And you realize that it's been laid up for the past 10 years. And, and it, shouldn't something like that start to discount any veracity of the source you're using? Quote, if you're even using a source. That's actually one of the things I found interesting. So I was looking at like the sources he used, like the links he used, because like the Alta, for example, being laid up for 10 years isn't actually on the on like the u.s american english wikipedia page it's not been updated with that it has now but back then it hadn't and like there's some of these things about the whole the p8 poseidon's not actually being an active service and stuff he's linked to an article that was just like they had now received them but didn't actually say anything about them not being in service so it does seem like it seems like you know those stories where you kind of have someone that's trying to make like a really detailed story but doesn't actually know anything about the subject but wants to appear that they know something about the subject but anyone that actually like can look below that surface level of a quick google search will know that okay that doesn't make any sense but like kind of found like these convenient sources that kind of fit in the narrative yeah that's i i i think that there is that level of at least individuals who attempt to feign an understanding of the situation whether that be just random Twitter accounts or or some journalists or because there definitely are there are, there are definitely a lot of journalists who if they don't know something they'll talk to people who do know things um, and they will be open that they talk to other people because they don't have a full understanding of the situation um, I think that you know there is another class where it's just the the I made it up int, which is, you know, <laughs> Hey, uh, you know, if, if the Ukrainians have fired something like 50 or 60 attackums at, at Russian positions already, then, you know, they've, they've been remarkably secretive about it. I mean, I'm pretty um, sure they also, they probably also hit Nord Stream. I mean, at this point, like, I mean, why not? The, the submarine diving attackums. Yeah. <laughs> No, but I mean, there's just, like, there's stuff like that throughout that entire thing. Now he came up with another post last, or this week, or last, or this week, I think, like, a few days ago, where he's talking about how the whole Andromeda thing is a cover that was made up to discredit his story, even though the story came out in the start of February. And, I mean, I know for a fact that Danish police were on question three asking questions about this ship already back in December and January. So, I mean, do they also have a time machine where they can kind of go back in time to start this investigation to discredit his story before he even made it. And at the same time, he talks about, like, in this post, how um, there was this meeting with the German chancellor and Biden where there's no aides present at any, like, for the majority of the thing, and they were having this super secret conversation, like, with no one else there, 
but his source had access to what they'd said, and he totally said that it was like, oh yeah, totally, yeah. They they were talking about how it, they were making this up to discredit me, and they planted it. And I, again, his initial story was how they did, Biden didn't want any leaks, he didn't want the relationship with Germany to be compromised, and they wanted you know like this could ruin the U.S.-German relationship. You find out it's the U.S. and like blew up this German pipeline. And now, in this conspiracy, now they're talking about covering for this, even though Germany is the one they... So they want to hide it from Germany by involving Germany in the thing. It's just this whole mess. Well, and I think that's the thing, right? Because if we look at previous sort of covert actions that have been, been leaked, right? In recent memory, there's been a lot of them that have been at you know, fairly high levels where you still have leakers. And so the big the big thing with the Hearst story for me, beyond just the physical logistics of it all, um, is the, this idea that there's a single source that knows all of this. What just one person, doesn't matter how high they are up, right? But we haven't seen a singular other leaker or sort of even proposed leaker from another country, whether it be Poland, whether it be Germany, whether it be Norway, whether it be Denmark. Right. There's been there's been nothing. And, and so I, I think that's a that's a huge tip off as to, you know, the uh, Biden was personally personally sitting on the Norwegian ship responsible, dropping explosives over the side. <laughs> it, it was it was a moment of <laughs> mania and he leaked the whole thing. No, but that's a, that's a, that's a huge red flag. No, no, no think... but but not only that, per per the story. It, yeah. it would have also had to have been Biden personally there dropping dynamite over the side of the ship, you know, trying <laughs> to hit the pipeline. Yeah, Biden launched the torpedoes. But what, what I'm getting at here is that often and what we've seen throughout you know, the course of this this war a lot is we've seen some very good analysis being done. And analysis is when you're building you know, fact upon fact or idea upon idea to build a narrative as opposed to grabbing a narrative and then trying to find a bunch of stuff to support it just uh, without sort of verifying the, um, you know, the truthfulness or the, the realism of those claims. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, attack M's is one way to look at that. And then I feel like Hirsch's story about Nord Stream is another, is another thing as well, uh, where even when pressed on certain sort of aspects that don't add up, such as the Alta class ships, uh, what they tend to do is they say, you know, it's a conspiracy meant to discredit me or my narrative or anything like that without sort of providing any further evidence to back up their claim. I mean, you have one of two things. Either it's super secret and he has this one source that knows everything, which means that this one source must be so easily identifiable because you have this super compartmentalized operation that, and his source apparently knows every step of the plan. I mean, that can't be more than like two people <laughs> that know that. Or we have this, Operation as he describes it, where you suddenly have nine countries involved, and there's no one else that's willing to leak any information about this whole massive plan. You have to have like thousands of people involved, so it's like either or. None of them really makes sense. I uh, yeah, I mean it's it's uh, it, it it's a fantasy. It 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 is a well-woven story not to you know copy what the russians love saying about any you know western story about them but it, it truly is one of those you know i'm running off of one source and then filling in the the gaps with stuff that i believe happened um 
and 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 running off of one source who is both anonymous and possibly the highest place leaker in history. At the same time, you can just see kind of the circuit that Hirsch has made after he released his thing on Russia Today and all these places. I mean, it's... Oh, of course. Like, that that's, you know... <laughs> and I mean, if you listen that's... to those interviews, I mean, stuff that he says makes no... I remember one interview they were, like, asking about, oh, what about the Alpha class? And he's just like, well, let me tell you about Nicaragua. And he goes on this, like, five-minute rant about Nicaragua in the 70s instead of just answering their question. I don't quite know where that went. but then, And then, but, like, you ask him about these things, and he starts using all these other things like everyone knows that you know russia did, hasn't put their real army to ukraine yet they still have their reserve of four hundred thousand men it's not their actual army that's in ukraine and all of these other weird kind of things oh this war will only end once Zelensky has stolen enough money to uh we all know that we all know that like it's just like all of this kind of you know just the normal kremlin talking points that he goes off of makes me think that his, that his um source might be a uh, scott ritter <laughs> Well, I, I I don't even think Scott could uh, feign having any level of high access. <laughs> I'm 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 pretty sure it's it's pretty clear that the uh, military drummed him out a very long time ago. Um, but I think at at the same time, it it definitely his his at least media appearances have reflected um, the uh, politics over substance part of his uh, work. Which, you know, I mean, understandable. Yeah, I mean, from what I've heard, I think his, um, I've heard several different people that I trust say that his source probably came from the whole, um, you know, veteran intelligence professionals for sanity crowd, or, you know, Raymond McGovern and all of those people, that that's where they think that his source probably was from. That, that would certainly track. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't think we'll ever, you know, discover the true source um, or even, you know, if there was a source or who the source was or any of these other things. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll, I, I, I assume I just look at what the product is. I, I don't really care about, you know, not necessarily how he got to making it up, but, but what the product actually says. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's been pretty clear that that it, it relies off what is verifiably false information and you know should be treated as such it's it's very easy <laughs> yeah if you put the time and effort into it then you're absolutely right technical and with this with the Hirsch's story in particular as you know Oliver's done a really masterful job of pointing out once you really start getting into the nitty-gritty and looking at each of these individual points beyond in some cases like we've said beyond a google search and in other cases beyond you know diving a little bit deeper pun intended um you start to see the the entire narrative just simply fall apart and we could we could go further into you know Hirsch himself and you know how has his writing changed since he first sort of came on the stage with with me Lai back in the seventies. Um, but I, I think the the best way to kind of look at this is what things factually are either made up or simply don't make sense under a uh, under a closer lens. And there's plenty of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I think that's the entire thing in a nutshell is, you know, there are people who will provide well-crafted, cited pieces of work, 
And then there are people who will say, my anonymous source says this with some very shaky information and then and then proceeds to not support it, which I, I think is is an issue. I think if it was properly sourced, whenever people like ask questions, he'd be able to provide some evidence or something instead of just saying, oh, it's the CIA. They 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 turned off the OSINT button and then they, uh, you know, the CIA made this up. The CIA planted this. The CIA did this kind of the easy way out whenever anyone asks a question. Oh, it's the CIA. Yeah. Well, that's 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 actually an excellent additional point to point out, because if we look at previous instances of leakers sort of, you know, going against the, the American narrative, specifically when we look on the war on terror. When those leakers have done so and the people who have picked up on it, like take take Abu Ghraib for an example, there there was evidence to point to and there was something to say. It's not just this guy saying it. We have this guy over here saying it, too. We have these images sort of proving it. And so you 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 continue to drive sort of down the evidentiary hole as opposed to saying, well, the CIA is just hiding it. Well, you know, the American intelligence community is after me. Well, my my person won't comment further, you know. Yeah, there's there's not much that 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 can be said further than that, at least you know as I view it. No, I mean now it's kind of come to this point because I mean he hasn't provided any evidence. You think it's kind of his burden, you know, to provide the evidence. So he has the burden of truth, but in this case, it's kind of like trying to because whenever there's a even just a minute hole in like this, oh, you didn't cover the ship for these this ten minute interval. They could have done it there instead of like it becomes like trying to disprove the existence of God because like. You have to cover literally every single millisecond of this, of every single naval ship in the world, like for like a year, where they'll find some little loophole and be like, "Oh, actually, technically, it could have happened at this point." Because you don't have any evidence saying that it didn't happen here. And it just comes like this impossible game of whack a mole. Yeah, I definitely think. Yeah, it's 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 ideological whack a mole as well. It's 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 individuals who are putting news out in the space with, you know, an ideological spin on it and, and one that is sometimes completely based off of, you know, what they want to happen or they what, what they want to have happened because it would fit their narrative. Yeah, I mean, you have the same people that are like, oh, like whenever a story comes out, they'll be like, oh, this is American source. They're clearly lying. And then when they suddenly say, they say something they believe in, they're like, oh, well, look, the U.S. intelligence proved that this happened. It's just, just like or the other way around, like all the time. I mean, you're, you're, you're asking for ideological consistency with individuals or at least consistency with individuals who are who have an aggressive ideological stance and and that's something that that isn't really you know compatible <laughs> israel oh, been man, that's an interesting mess for the last few weeks probably more so than i think we, we could safely say it normally is um and I'm, I'm guessing you've all seen as well so the israeli defense minister has been fired this evening uh, yeah well the problem is by the time The the problem is by the time I et- finish editing this in like you know twenty four hours, like it, something huge will have happened because I from from what I'm seeing at the moment is a increasingly large number of at least reservists in the IDF who have been previously quiet about you know not or at least not commenting as much on you know the judicial reforms or or the role of the IDF. 
um and and they're now being far more open about the fact that they um that they just won't be showing up to service and those are you know Israel is an army of reservists or or not not just there there is a there is a professional core to the Israeli army but but they are hugely supported by reservist elements which is why you know anytime something flares up in Gaza or anytime you know there there's a general flare up in the area the, the, the Israelis pretty much immediately call up reservists um and seeing an increasing number of them um say that yeah no I'm going to stay home if anything happens um because of what the government's doing is is definitely a risky position for the government to be in. It's a risky position for one and for two it's actually quite a dramatic change for the IDF uh position in the country politically. I mean typically you get little to no commentary from members of the IDF about internal politics. Um that in in my opinion they've done actually a pretty good job of that. And now here's a spicy take. Um now you're looking at, you know, these reservists in the IDF looking far more like the Turkish military looked like before the quote-unquote, you know, coup against Erdogan, where all of a sudden you have another example of members of a military of a generally a liberal democratic state sort of coming up and being like, no, this is, this is overreaching. This is an overreach of power from one specific branch of the government. We're not going to stand for it. Yeah, I, 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 I think also what I've seen at least is that most of the discontent is coming from the lower ranks, or, or not the lower ranks, but, but more from a distributed base, um, instead of one that's being sort of led by at least an organized faction. You know, the the defense minister did have um, at least a view, but was still, I mean, you know, Gallant was still a member of Likud. He was still, you know fairly in line with Netanyahu um it only recently broke with him over some of the judicial reforms which led to his firing about an hour before he recorded this episode um but before that a lot of the discontent among the ranks of the IDF were primarily you know isolated to reservists um who have at least a bit more freedom to speak um though that's that's it's weird. It, it, it is. It, it, it's a bit weird because I don't think we've ever been here before. Um, but it was more of a distributed discontent, which which actually reflected more of a prevalent view in the community. But but it still wasn't competently led by any faction. Um, and I don't think we've seen that still. Um, but who knows? It, it, things are evolving very quickly right now. Yeah. And, and speaking of evolving quickly, I mean, there are already, you know, within the hour of, of the defense minister's firing, there are already protests ongoing in Tel Aviv as we speak. Uh, yes, I think so. I'm not sure at the moment, but... I think they've, someone's released photos showing su supposedly up to 120,000 people on the streets of Tel Aviv protesting at the minute. Um, now I, I I don't know enough of uh, Tel Aviv's sort of geography to be able to confirm if they're actually photos from Tel Aviv or from some from somewhere else, but um, that yes, that would some indicate the, some quite of them a large number of people. Are, um, sorry, John. Yeah, oh, uh, you know, on mine. <laughs> oh, jeez, I need a minute. No, so some of the images I'm looking at them for the last twenty thirty minutes. I've been to Tel Aviv a couple of times, and yeah. 
again, I can't for the life of me remember the names of the locations, but a lot of them are pretty central, and a lot of them are, are certainly relevant. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, has anyone else here? No, I mean, I think that this definitely represents, I mean, Israeli society is um, fairly liberal, classical liberalism, liberal, um, in, in the fact that they, you know, support at least these democratic principles. And a lot of what Netanyahu has done has been um, definitely anti-democratic, um, at least with, or, or the, the openly perceived view of the judicial reforms have been anti-democratic. And I know I'm absolutely going to, uh, I mean, no matter what, talking with Israeli politics, someone someone's going to be angry. Um, I, I, but I, I do think that, that the current ruling administration has been moving in that direction, at least with, with changing judicial policy and adjusting sort of what checks and balances exist on them, um, which which has, has, you know, come to international rebuke. Um, both both from a variety of countries including the US and 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 other nations especially in Europe as well. I would just say again, you know, I'm a stickler on sort of like logistics and trends over here, but in regards to these initial reports that we're seeing about, you know, protests in Tel Aviv over the defense minister's firing, I mean, we can look back over the last couple of weeks and see that there's been some pretty large-scale protests ranging towards the hundreds of thousands of people against these judicial forms in particular. So I, I wouldn't doubt the ability of these these organizers to get people back out in the event of like you know like a mass a large-scale event like this happening. Yeah, I mean, and, and at the end of the day, if you look at what Gallant said yesterday, and for those I'm speaking about yesterday, 325, um, was that there needed to be a delay in the judicial reform vote and that it had endangered the army. Um, and and I, I think that, I mean, not going to read into Gallant's, you know, point of view, because that's that's you're never going to be accurate on that. Um, but I, I do think there, there was at least a perception in the ministry of defense, um, that additional judicial reforms would affect readiness. And that was Gallant's main reason, you know, isolated from any sort of political reasoning. There was the practical reasoning of, you know, we'll continue to have reservists decide they aren't going to show up and we will consider continue to have discontent in the army. And I think that, Netanyahu's reaction was potentially clouded by not just political was clouded by his political views and and potentially affected his his actual view of the situation um and i i i i definitely think losing <laughs> losing your army isn't a uh, great way to go around things no no one no one going to take the bait to elaborate on that one <laughs> One. <laughs> no, no disagreement from here. Uh, no, I understand the. Uh, you can cut this later. I understand the the minefield that is discussing internal Israeli politics. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna steer clear. Trying to trying to bait someone into saying what I want to say without actually saying it. Dang! Someone someone take the bait. Come on. 
Go get him, George. I'm just working on an AI voice to take the bait. Oh. <laughs> and George, George is going to create an AI to uh, make it so we don't have to say the spicy stuff. We're we're going to we're going to create a fake character for the podcast who exists sheerly to say stuff that we don't want to say. <laughs> Spe- speaking of AI, I've I've just seen a tweet um, of AI generated images relating to um, a certain event that was meant to have happened in the United States over the last week or so. Um, don't know don't know if you guys want to comment on that. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, the, talking about what Elliot was doing last week um, with the uh, Trump get, or this week actually with, no, no, it's Sunday last week um, with the Trump getting arrested stuff. Um, yeah, no, I mean, in I mean, in general, what he was putting out was very forthcoming that it was AI generated. Um, I do think Midjourney banned him um, from their service, which definitely, definitely, um, definitely an interesting view there. Um, from, from their point of view of, uh, oh no, our, our service is getting too... I mean, I think a lot of AI services are walking a very fine line right now of, you know, the absolute and abject terror of what is possible with what they have um, and their innate fear of being regulated, which, I mean, let me let me point put my view out there like immediately and very clearly. There absolutely has to be regulation of these services or not just the services, but also the use of them period end of story that is my view that is like i will i will very rarely express like actual political views like publicly sorry that is my view on the situation ai is hugely consequential in in what it can be used for um i do think that at the moment though at least what elliot was doing was more demonstrative of what's possible he was being very open in the fact that it was ai generated imagery um i i i i think that he arguably what he was doing raised a lot more interest into what um was possible uh you know with the system and and diving into you know, the complexities of, of what was happening. And no, no, it was, it was very clear what the, the images that were, I mean, he was releasing pictures of Trump in an orange jumpsuit, you know, swimming through the sewers to get out of prison. Like it was, it was very clear that, you know, it was, it was, it was a fantasy. Um, but I, I, I do think that it, it, it was demonstrative of what is currently possible and, and was a, was a pretty good example of it. Um, but I, I, I do think that moving into the future, um, the, it, it will continue to become more and more advanced and more and more capable. And as that continues to happen, we will continue to see, you know, bad actors who aren't necessarily, you know, broadcasting, hey, here's what's possible with the system. You know, here's what we can do. But but using it to put forward maybe, oh, here's an image of Trump getting arrested with no context whatsoever. Um, and I, I think, I know George, you were experimenting with, uh, the, the, the AI UK defense journal, uh, script reading, which I saw, saw a very interesting response online. 
It's terrible, um, but of course it's terrible because I haven't paid for it. I had it, it was uh, you know I can't even remember. It was like maybe the second result in Google, but these this technology, this collection of technologies, is incredibly dangerous. Anyone can be made to say anything or do anything. Now I, I often joke that perhaps someone might create a video one day of one day of me claiming that there are no frigates being built on the Clyde, which is destabilising for the entire country, but. Jokes aside, I think it was back in 2018, I read a report by the University of Cambridge, I think it was, or a study, it was, I read something, which doesn't exactly um, fill you with confidence, I guess, but regardless, I read something about states and terrorists using artificial intelligence, I cannot speak, artificial intelligence generated um, content as a means to destabilise, and it's something, obviously, we're already seeing. Now, obviously, as you say, the Trump thing, it was kind. It was very clearly just to show this can be done, but there's got to be a lot of stuff coming up over the next few months, the next few years that won't slip by, you know, being so noticed. I think that I mean the the underlying stuff already exists in you know just straight up disinformation, um, but AI is an incredibly powerful tool. Because it's not, you know, the AI isn't doing its own disinformation yet. Though I think maybe maybe that's a future issue. Um, but but it's an incredibly powerful tool for those who want to push disinformation. Well, I think we're, in, in regards to AI image generation, I think we're in this weird little Goldilocks zone right now. Because the, the best example I would look at historically would be the creation and sort of evolution of deepfakes. You know, you had plenty of folks ringing the bell around five to six years ago about when deepfakes first came out. It was pretty obvious that they were, you know, deepfakes. Like, you could look at them and just realize that, you know, the head wasn't doing what the body was doing and everything yeah. like that. And now we no, see go ahead, deepfakes sorry. themselves come such a long way. And now with sort of the proliferation of AI voice generation and also these, these images getting, you know, sharper and sharper. Because when the first, you know true ai images like i'm sure everyone remembers the whole debacle amongst like artists and ai artists and everything like yeah. that but when the first of those images started coming out of like actual people they looked in my opinion at least they looked like a painting like there were certain aspects of it that looked almost like brush strokes or something like that and so it was fairly easy to distinguish the difference and even with some of these photos about trump right when they initially came out i'm like you know it's not all adding up it's kind of like uncanny valley um which for those listening uncanny valley is when something looks so close to a human it starts looking less close well, uh, and yeah. that's something that game developers have been like working with for the last 20 years because they've been running into this issue where if they try to go too heavy on the graphics people start getting weirded out um and so in regards to specifically this instance with sort of these these AI generated images of, of like Trump getting arrested for myself personally, I was looking at them for a moment and I was just like, all right, this doesn't add up beyond beyond the fantastical elements of, of like him, you know, swimming away from prison. But the initial ones that I saw were him getting arrested by what looked like NYPD officers. But man, it took us I mean, it took us five years to go from basically face replacing you know deep fake ai to a deep fake that could create an entire image but it was still less than realistic it took us like two months for to go from there to creating images that really pass like i don't know if anyone's heard of a website called this person does not exist.com so it creates a face it uses a generative adversarial network to 
to create a realistic human face. I've been seeing so many of these pop up on Twitter, on Facebook, and it's 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 to the point where they all look sort of similar. So I think, if I remember correctly, because I've been reading a lot about how to identify these, and the eyes are typically in the same sort of place. They're all sort of typically looking in the same sort of direction, but for someone who is unaware of this entirely, then they're entirely convincing. It's scary. It yeah, is scary, I... and what, what's what's scarier is the fact that we've already seen, like, you know, the Trump pictures are an excellent example of, you know, the the idea that dis, it, it's, uh, it's what's the old Mark Twain quote, the, you know, a lie gets around the world before the truth has a chance to put its pants on. And in looking at it, particularly sort of hostile information environments, whether it be, you know, the war in Ukraine, whether it be United States domestic politics, or to be honest, domestic politics in a lot of countries around the world, the, the potential for this to be used to create anything from, depending upon the technology used to debunk it, uh, you know, a narrative running for anywhere from, you know, one week to a month has, has massive implications on anything from an electoral cycle to just the simple public standing of a leader. Well, I I don't think it's just that, but it it's it's the opportunity for even and I, I think the main the main defining factor right now is that the barrier of entry for this keeps dropping lower and lower and lower. And so right now it's still somewhat high. Like you you still need to know how to do prompts on mid-journey and you you still I mean like to actually get an okay looking image you need a paragraph long prompt and you need to understand how it works. Um the next main sort of barrier area for a lot of this AI is going to be getting sort of prompt length down. Um which is 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 going to be hard but but it's it's going to be focused. Um, I, the barrier to entry there is going to be lower and lower and lower. And then I think at the same time, you're probably going to see sort of generative, like add a picture of this person to this scene that I've provided to you. Um, which I, I, we're starting to see now with chat GPT in that you can, you know, send chat GPT images and ask it to analyze them. Um, so I, I, I think sort of manipulative AI image generation is sort of that next frontier that we'll probably see, you know, come crashing down on us sooner and sooner and sooner, which terrifying in and of itself. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, that's our next risk area. A at the moment, though, the possibilities are endless. I, I think, you know, as Austin said, it, it, it is it's expansive in what you can do. Um, and and you know who who knows how people will utilize it um i i know that people were already taking images that elliot had posted um took them you know ripped them and and basically just tweeted trump's been arrested in new york city um and and I, most of the comments on that were you know not so much oh wow he got arrested but more wow ai is terrifying like people people could still identify that it was ai um but as those advancements sort of continue, and I, I think the, the, the jump from, I think it was mid-journey four to mid-journey five was huge. Um, and I think we'll continue to see those jumps in realism um, as, as we go forward. I just, I, I really don't know a good way to sort of control that um, in any way, shape, or form. And ultimately, the, the, the very use of AI for that sort of thing is going to play very heavily into propaganda for the likes of Russia and other 
nations in, engaging in, in various conflicts. And I, I, I'm, to, to a certain extent, I'm surprised that we haven't seen Russia releasing photos like this, showing things going better for them, shall we say, in Ukraine. Um, because to a certain extent, that you know, as you say, the, the realism is, is so good now that they could very easily start publishing these AI-generated photos in their newspapers as part of a massive propaganda campaign. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and that goes with the barrier of entry thing. As the barrier of entry gets lower and lower and lower, the capabilities to conduct widespread disinformation continues to to move more and more, you know, into this wider field. Um, and who who knows what will happen then, um, where you, you're effectively moving to just having, like, botnets who can, you know, comment and like stuff and, and you know push disinformation but at a lower capability to botnets who can actually generate their own information um and their their own uh, in effect fake news um to to affect real people and i i think yeah so i i it's the whole the whole cyberpunk uh, uh uh internet of basically the internet is all bots and ai and it makes it literally no one uses it anymore um because that's that's all it is um and I, I think we, we are possibly hurtling towards that um, as as real content and artificial content sort of come together um, into a, a, an indiscriminate state where, where you, you are it is impossible to tell what is actually real. Um, and I, I think, you know, that's a concerning that's a concerning point once we hit there. I mean, it's it's not Roko's Basilisk per se, but it's it's this separate point in in which content sort of just dissolves into who knows what which is a perfect time for real verification to disappear off twitter <laughs> yes yes at, at the at the exact time that you know verification for for actually reliable sources is disappearing um we're we're seeing you know just yeah, I, I, it's a bad time to be online. It is, it is a really bad time to be online. I, for, for certain. I mean, going into this, I was expecting neither a 2077 nor a Basilisk reference, but kudos on those. Uh, but I would agree in a lot of that, um, in that, you know, we don't know how quickly, we've seen it move very quickly in the immediate past. We don't know how quickly it's going to move, specifically, like you were talking about, technical, with the, the lowering of the barrier to entry. And the the possibilities are so widespread that it's hard to kind of get a grasp. Because uh, the Defense Geek, when you were talking earlier about, you know, why haven't the Russians been using this and everything like that, mm. um, I think that's something that we can very well see in the future. Where I'm kind of looking at it is so far what we've seen is it's been used to target individuals. And so I was kind of surprised that we didn't get more cases of like Zelensky deep fakes running around where he's, you know, just mm. spouting misinformation. Um, and I, I think we saw like one, but it was terrible. Yeah, um, it was I, it was I, poorly I, done. And 
I, I think after that, they kind of just shelved it and we're going back to, you know, the traditional uh, agitprop narratives. Um, and I also feel like when we when we look at something as testy as like, you know, the fake photos of Trump getting arrested, like what are they going to what are they going to do with Zelensky? Are they going to put him in a fake like bioweapons lab and he's just going to be like standing there smiling where there's all these like, you know, biohazard signs around him? Like, I, I feel like. And in the case of like specific usage towards like let's say boosting the morale of Russian forces or like showing victories, I mean the the Russians already do that with staged photographs. So I don't know. I I feel like the the potential is endless, and that does scare me. Um, but in the immediate, I just don't really see how the Russians would use that effectively. Yeah, I I just. I don't think I think we're still in this disruptive phase where the true implications and use cases for, you know, at least AI systems like this haven't been fully thought out yet. Um, I think that moving into the future, we will start to see sort of these case use cases be tested and they'll almost certainly be tested on social media and you'll, you'll see attempts to, you know, slow to, to create disinformation, slowly get better and better and better. Um, and, and there, there will be a point in which it, it will be impossible to sort of actually individually, just with the content alone, looking at the content, um, be able to, figure out if something is fake i i think though that in that case the importance of sort of not debunking per se but but the fact checking of you know this is something that you know is fake because of all these supporting things and this person wasn't here at this time um would be you know that the importance of that will continue to grow But who knows? AI scares me. I'm going to go dig a hole and hide in it. Any, anyone else want to join me in my hole? <laughs> just, just just, make it into a trench. We'll, we'll make a trench. <laughs> yeah, I... I and and really, I I think the the main end, like if we want to get into really terrifying end states, like someone being angry at you and basically just creating a bot with the sheer purpose of defaming you, like, and it being easy enough that anyone can do it, like like literally a bot that just exists to like take images you've posted, and manipulate them to be embarrassing, or create embarrassing generative images of you that just don't exist because i i think pretty much every single person on the internet has probably posted enough images of themselves in some way shape or form in which generative imagery can be further created um or at least most people online um and i think that in that case you know it it starts to become uh pretty scary you know I, I, there, there aren't many ways around that. I mean, the, the, I do love playing the hypothetical extreme game, but if we want to talk about like a terminal lowering of the barrier of entry, uh, to a, to a lesser impact standpoint, but just like, you know, let, let's, let's imagine, you know, high school kids getting bullied and all of a sudden the folks doing so have the ability to just create 
random images of them um, in embarrassing situations. Oh yeah, when, when thinking lot, about the that's logical, a very, very small scale impact, but yes. Yeah, when when thinking about the logical, horrifying end states of any technology, just think, you know, what if a high school bully had access to this? What would they do with that? That is going to be the end, probably one of the most horrifying set of things that could be done with this system. Um, and yeah, I mean, and the, I was going to say, I mean, the thing is, I mean, you could always make fake images. It just required at least some level of talent and time and effort. Now you can just pump them out by the thousands. <laughs> I think as it becomes more prolific, people will probably become more indifferent to it. It will have less of an impact potentially on the people being targeted because if it's if it's ten a penny, you know, yeah, it's kind of like the beginning of Photoshop when that came out. You kind of, then I think I think it's going to have like a little, it's going to be like a period of time for like a year or two where it's really a problem, and then it's kind of just kind of fades out. Suddenly, you can't really use images as proof anymore because it doesn't really matter anymore. It just kind of becomes yeah. this thing that you kind of get used to. Yeah. The main question is going to be when it becomes good enough to where you can actually make plausible fakes for stuff like geolocation and stuff. Because I mean, that's going to take a while, I think, before it can actually get all those things. Like, I should, I should try to create a mid-journey prompt for Ukraine war. You know, AI, or 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 just see if you can fake like a picture from a drone. So I think or, like the... or at least take a take a whack at it, because that would be super interesting to see. I think I have some mid-journey credits kicking around. I may do that just to see what's possible at the moment. Okay. Um, but I mean, I'm least... I'm assuming that it 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 won't make something that's realistic or or super realistic. But like, if it creates just fake landscape, how do you debunk that with geolocation? Do you just say like there is nowhere in Ukraine that has this you know geographic profile? Because I, I, I don't think anyone else can do that. I think the main thing is that, like, right now, at least, it's still bad at details. There's stuff that's wrong. Like, if you get it to, like, a, like a specific building or something and tell it to make that, it'll make four different variations of the building but never, you know, get the right building. And I think that's going to be a thing in, like, geolocation and, you know, like a OSINT kind of scenario with war and tanks and aircraft and stuff. I think there's going to be a lot of, like, slight little things wrong on, for example, the aircraft or the tank or the rifle or stuff like that is going to be off at least for like the near future until they kind of perfect that and i think that's going to be like a hard thing to perfect because for thing there are some things out there that just aren't enough images and it can't just kind of estimate you know the distance between this weld and this weld on the side of this tank for like you can't kind of just make that up like there's stuff that has to be exact you know like where the screw holes are when you're trying to id a missile or something like Stuff like that, I think, is going to be like hard to impossible for it to actually get to a point where it can fake. I think in that regard, I think it's still like less. I, I don't. Problem. Yeah, I don't think we'll ever hit a point at which you know something is impossible for AI, just because you know it's it's going to get better and better and better. But like, what if you see like I don't know, say the attack in Kremenchuk. Um, with the 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 AS4 and and some some Russian source takes that image or, or say it, you know it happened at a later point some Russian takes takes that image and you know inserts and creates a fake security you know camera still with with a picture of the AS4 replaced with you know some you know OTR21 um i i think that the that is possible at the moment with photoshop maybe it would take a lot of work. I think the barrier to entry of that as AI gets better and better and better 
um, is going to be lower and lower and lower and, and get to a point where it's it's nearly indistinguishable. And so, you know, if someone shares an image of something, then, you know, there will both be the the attack of, you know, this might be AI and, and you know, even if it isn't and if someone shares an AI image, no one no one will actually know. And I uh, that goes back to the issue of, of the indistinguishability. Um, At the of, end of the of day, it, I mean, it, requires, the it requires enough imagery to actually have, you know, enough imagery to base it off of. And I mean... With some of the stuff as we've seen, some of the like the technology and the, the weapons and the war in Ukraine, for instance, there just aren't enough reference images to actually get like an accurate like for it to make an accurate picture of it. Like it would have to estimate stuff. If you look at some of the, I mean, we still have the those um what are they called again the Phoenix Ghost drones that have never been pictured at least as far as I remember. Like that. Were... Yeah. Well, what if, what if the AI gets to a point where it just decides what a Phoenix Ghost would probably look like? I mean that. Then you get the point where, like, then another AI would like. If you do multiple people doing this, you'd kind of need to have some consistency where they decide on the same thing. As is right now, I mean, they kind of, they don't really have that level of consistency. It kind of decides, you know, each time what it wants it to be. So I mean, of course, that can happen in the future. Where you kind of get this more collaborated effort. But yeah, I mean, I just think, if as long as there aren't enough reference images of a thing, it's going to be hard for it to actually do stuff accurately in that regard celebrities and stuff like this sure it can do whatever it wants but like more niche things i think it's gonna be hard so what you're saying is that when ai gets access to the war thunder forums we're all done for <laughs> oh yeah that's the end of the world uh yeah i just i i yeah i i don't i the the i think the advancement rate is just coming at such a point now that it's very hard to figure out you know how how quickly things things will advance cuz again we it took us years to to go from you know one point to the next and then you know literally months later we have significant advancements um and i i i think that that's a huge it's a huge question mark of how quickly this will happen is this you know a 10-year horizon thing or is it you know oh god it's going to happen in the next year or is it, it's gonna happen the next two years um i i yeah i'm not sure and on that note um any anyone have anything else to add because i i think uh john is getting a bit antsy on how much time we've taken up <laughs> Well, I mean, you could cut this if you if you want to close it out. But if we're going to talk about horrific end states and high school bullies, why not discuss France? <laughs> oh, come on! <laughs> this is you, what happens that's a when we have a, we have a UK centric. Again, uh, that's, all, that's all people need to know. <laughs> yeah, something something Boom. happened Boom. politically, and all the French got angry. The end. <laughs> no, no, end but not on a that serious note. note but... No, no, come on. There's a massive disinformation campaign going on. Everyone's saying, well, okay, on the, on the one side, you know, everyone's saying the French are being the French. On the other side, you have the, you know, the Russian info space saying it's a revolution because of the, uh, the World Economic Forum. And the reality is it is the French being the French to a higher degree because all the only unifying factor from all of these protest elements is the fact that they're pissed off about the retirement age being raised. But then you've got, you know, all of these info networks talking about how, like, oh, this is against the war in Ukraine. This is an 
anti-Biden protest, as if the, you know, as if the, the general French labor movement gives a rat's ass what Joe Biden is saying. Um, yeah, I don't there's, know. there's we, disinformation we... campaigns around everything now. Like, pick a, pick a random subject and I'll find you as a disinformation campaign associated with it. All right, that's fair enough. It's like, it's like the old joke. Like, I, I just, I, yeah. landing on the moon and, and pe- people turning around saying, hang on, you believe in the moon? Did you know, actually, it was the moon that landed on NASA? <laughs> yeah, they actually yeah, the, brought the moon to Houston. No, 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 no. no. So technically, test, technically the moon like landings the, the moon landings were filmed by Stanley Kubrick, but they brought the moon <laughs> to Los Angeles <laughs> and they filmed it on a soundstage on the moon. <laughs> One of DARPA's big projects alongside the uh, the Orca launched ballistic missile was the Kubrick slingshot that put him up there. Uh, I think I think on that note, thought, I'll, yeah, I'll let John uh, read us out. Uh, we should call it a day. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. Um, this has been the Ocean Bunker podcast, and we will hopefully be back in a few weeks' time uh, with another guest. Um, so, 